Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Barbara Feldon and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcome to this week's edition of TV Confidential, radio talk show about television that wishes you and yours a very happy 2014 and hope your holidays were merry and bright. We're taking a few days off this week. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week that will include a tribute to Tom Smothers. Tom Smothers of the Smothers Brothers. Tom Smothers passed away Tuesday, December 26th at the age of 86. Pay tribute to Tom's mothers next week on TV Confidential. Our second hour will include an encore presentation of a conversation that originally aired in February 2023 with Nancy Olson Livingston. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll begin our first hour by replaying a special segment that originally aired in March 2018. Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, and I were about to sit down and record a few segments for this week in TV history when we got to talking about the revival of Will and Grace on NBC. That branched out into a discussion of the original Will and Grace from the late 1990s and early 2000s and whether the original Will and Grace falls under the realm of classic television. Some people would say yes, just as many, however, would immediately say no because their definition of classic television is restricted to a particular period of time. At one point, as the conversation went on, Tony said, you know, Ed, we really ought to be recording this. So we turned the microphones on, and we continued that discussion on air as part of our program tonight. As we pick up the conversation, Tony is talking about some of the different markers on that to define a classic. Because I would think, what do they use when you're describing a car? Why, is that, why isn't a 56 or a 58 Chevy, what's so special about the 57, what's so special about the 65 Mustang, or the, I think the 65 Corvette. What makes these cars go up in value over time? What is it that makes these cars unique over the, the previous year's model? Well, but, does it have something to do with the popularity at the time that a product or a project is introduced? I think that's part of it. I think it also has to do with its impact at the time, on the times, on the medium whether it's whether you're talking about a book, whether you're talking about a television show, whether you're talking about a movie. Does innovation have to have something to do with it? Something I, new, something that hasn't been seen? In most cases, yes. We did a program a few weeks back on The Graduate. Now, I think most people, certainly everyone in this room, would agree that The Graduate is a classic motion picture. Absolutely. For a number of reasons, it changed the way movies were marketed. because It was the first time a movie was specifically marketed to people in their 20s, people who were coming of age. And it went on to influence several Filmmakers, because it, it came on the verge of the new wave of filmmakers that, that began to leave their mark in the 70s, Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola. Was The Graduate considered, let's see, we're going back to the mid-1960s? 67. Was this, 
Well, okay, so we're going into the late 60s. Was the subject matter considered shocking to many Americans? Yeah, looking at some of the reviews at the time, both the formal critical newspaper reviews and what we would call the alt press now, you know, an underground press like the Village Voice and so forth. Um, I wonder what the Catholic diocese rating they gave the graduate at the time. Well, I think the the band in Boston element probably would be a contributing yeah. factor. I think it would be almost like that if, let's say, the graduate did have that band in Boston yeah. brand. That meant it was worthy of the attention of the Boston Archdiocese. Right. At that time, it, it was on their radar. It, yeah. was, it was definitely on their radar. Now, fast forward 10, 15 years. It's a movie that influenced people such as Ron Howard, such as Ong Lee, mm-hmm. uh, several contemporary directors who have gone on to leave their mark, uh, for lack of a better word, pushing the envelope changing, introducing new film styles, new subject matter, and again, evolving the form, elevating the form to the degree that uh, some of the style choices in making that film have become part of the norm um, in uh, among filmmakers in the you know decade or two immediately following that and continuing on to today. And uh, going back to what continues to make it a classic, because it left its mark and continues to leave its mark and continues to influence filmmakers, actors, writers, etc., it remains part of the culture, and that's what what continues to make it a classic. So I'm looking at, this is according to Wikipedia, what makes something a classic? A classic is an outstanding example of a particular style, something of lasting worth or with timeless quality of their first or highest quality class or rank, something that exemplifies its class. The word could be an adjective, a classic car, or a noun, a classic of English literature. Now, when you're looking at books, books, uh, a classic book, it's accepted as being exemplary or noteworthy, for example, through... An imprintor such as being listed as one of the great books or through a reader's opinion. Right. So I'll think of two movies, which are two personal favorites of mine. Animal House. Okay. I think that could be considered a classic because it ushered in that coming-of-age genre. Right. Porky's. And... Porky's, Fast Times at Red Mushroom, and then eventually uh, the uh, American Pie movies. Right. And there were a whole bunch in between. That you know probably are in the after hours Cinemax category. Yeah. The movie, the movie critic at the New York Times, I would imagine, would not agree with you. But in the yeah. context of what we're talking about, but now, that you know, makes also it, looking at hindsight, agree, yeah. yeah, that other people. But still, many of these do not hold a candle to Animal House. And one other thing that Animal House, I've heard so many people say, I saw that movie and I wanted to go to college. So you can imagine people growing up <laughs> in different segments of society. Yeah. Uh, some I went of them, to school with a couple of guys like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you had we grown up yeah. uh, in the farm belt or if you'd grown up in a manufacturing town where dad worked at the plant. Yeah. So the plan was when you graduate high school, you're going to get a job at the plant. You know, you don't need college. We've all known those people, right? And we've even known people, uh, you, me, all of us here, uh, our listeners, uh, that uh, disappointed their family by going to college. You know, they left town. They went to the big school. They came back, and they were never quite the same. You know, you forgot where you came from. But you know, it's just, or they never came back. Or yeah. they never came back. 
Uh, but, you know, for a lot of people, they said, yeah, when I saw that movie, I wanted to go to college. And, you know, Ernest Borgnine talked about he was approached by a lot of people that said, uh, when I saw McHale's Navy, I wanted to join the Navy. Yeah. I mean, so so you have that. And uh, I'm going to, since I'm a Well, huge, I mean, yeah. that, and that kind of circles back to something we said a little while ago. Uh, it, a film, a television series, a book can be considered a classic if people keep returning to it as a touch point. You know, yeah. yes. I mean, I became a filmmaker because of The Graduate. I became... I, I enlisted in the May, in the Navy because of McHale's Navy. I became a lawyer because of Perry Mason. Yeah, and we could probably come up with a, a, a dozen different scenarios. I became the, an astronaut because of Tony Nelson. Because of Tony Nelson. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. You look at the Star Trek franchise. I became an actor because of William Shatner. Yeah. I became uh, a scientist uh, with NASA because of Lieutenant Uhura. I became I mean, a writer because of the Dick Van Dyke show. Exactly. If I use Back to the Future, at the time, you know, it was said, uh, you know, the executives were saying, nobody wants a time travel movie. And the response was, well, nobody wants a bad time travel <laughs> movie. And you look at, and I'm a fan of time travel stories, and, and so I've seen a lot of these. If you look at what preceded that movie, Terminator, a lot of people overlooked the time travel aspect they because they saw Arnold and violence and all that. And it really is a cool time travel yeah. story, but a little unique. But you also had movies like Somewhere in Time, Time After Time, which was turned into a short-lived ABC series. Uh, the Final Countdown, which starred the Nimitz. And, uh, you know, you look at the uh, Russell Johnson Lincoln episode of The Twilight Zone, mm -hmm. and Bob Gale was looking at, you know he's not going to stop the assassination or with the final countdown, you know they're not going to prevent the attack on Pearl. So you already know that going in. So you already have that. And so when they wanted to tell a story, they wanted a story that was set in a location that they created. And, uh, you know, the consequences were going to be totally things under their control. They weren't going to actually screw up real events. And they had a great story. And then I think, you know, time travel stories and things like that were definitely influenced by Back to the Future, and you would see it in Time Cop. Who remembers that? <laughs> but Peter Weller? Um, no, that was RoboCop, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, or or yeah. now known as Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Yes. yes. <laughs> we're having a special roundtable discussion on the subject of what exactly constitutes a classic TV series. If you have any thoughts on this matter, we invite you to be part of our conversation. Email us, talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. We will work your comments in a future edition of our program. You can also post a comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, or twitter.com forward slash tvconfidential. Donna? Okay, so I've already said that I do not like the term instant classic because I've always believed a classic is quality plus time. That's putting it very simply. Any projects right now, film or television, that are destined to become classics? That's a good question. Now, and it's funny that you should mention this because I finally got my fire stick. And so I'm, I'm beginning to sample shows and some of the streaming channels that I did not have an opportunity to sample before because I didn't have streaming. So, and based on the shows that I've seen so far, I would say Grace and Frankie Possible because – it's it's now it dovetails on 
a genre, let's say, let's uh, that goes back 30 years with the Golden Girls, which is, and I would say the Golden Girls would be considered a classic because it. Well, it showed, went against certain, tra- it, certain it, rules. It, it, yes. it went against certain rules. It not only catered to an older demo, but it portrayed older people. The older women. Older women, specifically. I mean, realistically. It, so it, nobody had done that before. You and know? remember, NBC wanted to pull the show, not because of low ratings, but who wants to look at this? Yeah. And it was a writing campaign long before social media that saved that show and kept it on the air. So let's so so again jumping forward to say, you know, Grace and Frankie. So great Grace and Frankie is following in that tradition, but what makes it different is you have okay, now Grace and Frankie are supposed to are, are they're in their 70s. They're played by two actresses who are in their either late 70s or early 80s. 80. I okay. think Jane Fonda just turned 80. Jane, Jane Fonda just turned 80. So that, to me, that, that pushes the envelope uh, or at least breaks new ground in that respect. And I was talking to Tony about this uh, off Mike Donna. Okay, well, the main characters are Grace and Frankie, the female mm-hmm. leads. The ex-husbands played by Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston. If this were a network show, they would be made to be jerks. They would be the butt of a joke every five minutes. On Grace and Frankie, Martin Sheen's and Sam Waterston's character, they are made to be well round. Now, again, this is based on the I've, – I've watched almost all the first season at this point. So I don't know what they've done in the subsequent seasons. But based on what I've seen in the first season, both the uh, ex-husband characters are as well-rounded characters as Grace and Frankie. And while you may not agree with their decision to leave their wives, you understand why they did it. So there's an attempt to at least become empathetic with them. And that's something you wouldn't see in a network show. So True. to me, yeah. that elevates it to the next level. And so if I had my crystal ball, I would say Grace and Frankie. That, that's why I think Grace and Frankie is destined to be a new, uh, the next, one of the next classics. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us for a special roundtable discussion on what constitutes a classic TV series. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. The FBI Dossier, a guide to the classic TV series produced by Quinn Martin and starring Ephraim Zemlis Jr. The FBI Dossier, now available at BlackPawnPress.com, Amazon.com, and EdRobertson.com. One more item, save the dates. Join Coda Life and Well Time as they kick off the new year with their amazing Radiance Retreat. 2024, January 19th through January 21st in the beautiful beach town of Malibu, California. Radiance Retreat 2024 is a weekend of wellness, healing, and stillness that will help you reclaim your vibrancy, your power, and call back your energy. For more information, follow Coda Life Goddess on Instagram. That's C-O-T-A, Coda Life Goddess on Instagram, Coda Life on Facebook, or visit CodaLife.com. Our conversation with Tony and Donna originally aired in March 2018, but as the topic of our conversation is evergreen, we'd welcome your thoughts on what makes a classic 
TV series, email us, talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also post comments, facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, instagram.com forward slash tvconfidential, and twitter.com forward slash tvconfidential. Tony? The TV Land Awards would always dedicate a portion of the program to future classics. And I remember one year they gave it to, uh, (laughs) when Desperate Housewives was new, they gave it to Mark Sherry for Desperate Housewives. Which would make sense because that you you can if you we were looking at the time the show came out it was like they revitalized the, the primetime soap yes. the primetime soap but made it more of a dark comedy mm-hmm. as opposed to a nighttime soap opera while taking up the mantle established by Golden Girls in the eighties and hey, Sex in the City in the nineties exactly and I think it had influences on everything from Grey's Anatomy in fact. That show, they were like putting the brakes on the show and wanted to revamp it so it would be more like Desperate Doctors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think it even had, uh, Joseph Doherty might dispute this a little bit, but I think it did have a little influence on uh, Pretty Little Liars because I joked with him once. I said, I think this is going to be the gateway drug to Desperate Housewives. That, that's basically what they would grow up into. Uh, but mm-hmm. also, going back to the classics, you, you brought up Golden Girls. I would like to throw Murder, She Wrote in that mix. Those two shows are huge amongst millennials now. And when I say huge, there is merchandising for both of those shows that did not exist when those shows were new. I knew that about Golden Girls. I was not aware of uh, Well, I've seen, like, T-shirts and stuff. Okay. People have viewing parties. If there's a Murder, She Wrote marathon, there's a bunch of kids watching it on their iPads all right. You know, now, yeah. I'm thinking, okay, now we're going to branch this out a little bit. Mm-hmm. A okay. show that may have been mocked in its original time by critics or mm-hmm. filmmakers or, you know, pundits mm-hmm. whatnot. A show that was that may have been mocked when it originally aired, but over time has been recognized for either its enduring quality or discovered by a new audience mm-hmm. because of its enduring quality or whatever the I'd say I we we know from previous conversations about Golden Girls the bond between the four women yeah. that's what continues to draw uh, new audiences particularly among college age women uh, over the past 30 years that's why the Golden Girls has remained a staple I'm going to guess with Jessica Jessica Fletcher. Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lansbury's character on Murder, She Wrote, it's because she is a single woman of a certain age who is always in the center of what's going on in Cabot Cove. And even though there are regular law enforcement characters, Claude Akins, Tom Bosley, Ron Masak, they always turn to her. Mm-hmm. And they respect her, you know. They don't. They don't dismiss. Don't forget her. Jerry Orbach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jerry Orbach too. Okay, yeah. sorry. So they they don't write off Jessica Fletcher. They sort of incorporate her in their investigation. And so I would say, and Murder Show, I think, is currently on Cozy, correct? Yes. Okay. So I would say, now at the time it was on, it, it was mocked because really, yeah. Uh, because it was considered derivative, and it is mock worthy the fact that you have this tiny town, and when somebody gets murdered, 
you might call the local writer before you call the sheriff. Or, or and nobody ever suspects her. Or, yeah. or whenever Jessica shows up at a function, somebody, somebody dies. dies. She goes to a wedding, somebody gets murdered. That, she goes to a, a picnic, very, somebody gets murdered. That was a very murdered. standard yeah. plot, plot. She could go to a funeral, and yeah. somebody gets murdered. So, so 12 seasons, every Sunday night at 8 o'clock, there was a murder in Cabot Cove, Maine, which made it the most dangerous city in America, as yes. far as I was concerned. Yeah. That is over 250 murders. Yes. Twelve seasons. That yes. is over two hundred and fifty mm-hmm. murders. And not remember one. one season she moved to New York. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> ran out of victims in Cabot. In Cabot, but but the millennials love that. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us for a special roundtable discussion on what constitutes a classic TV series. If you have thoughts on this topic, feel free to email us talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also post comments at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, Twitter.com forward slash TV Confidential, and Instagram.com forward slash TV Confidential. Take a quick time out. We'll talk some more with Tony and Donna. We come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.